Hello, welcome to the third episode of A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, female friendship and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses, and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Luella Berryman. Luella is a London-based food writer, cook, and recipe developer. She's worked in almost every part of the food and hospitality industry, from serving plates and pouring wine in some of London's favourite spots to food and drink feature writing, recipe developing and cooking behind the scenes to create beautifully photographed food for magazines. She hosts regular supper clubs with spare ribs where she creates feasting menus based on the themes of the work of literature we're discussing that month. Luella has been testing and developing recipes since 2017 and has a weekly Substack newsletter designed to feed yourself and your friends very well. Thank you so much Luella for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's such a nice intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's get into it. Which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? So, I'm going to start with my foodier guests because they were kind of the main ones that I sort of was thinking about when I was trying to think of the list. Mm-hmm. I sort of I had. I had a long list, and I was thinking of women that I admired. I mean, to be honest, I was thinking of women that I admired. In my personal life, I was thinking about women that had done amazing things in history and now and in food and in literature and art and TV and like all of the things that I'm interested in. So I've sort of chosen my sort of top three. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is Asma Khan, mm. who is an Indian British chef and a cookbook author. You I probably, love her book. Yeah, yeah she, she is amazing. I actually I had the pleasure of interviewing her once. Um, oh god that's so cool yeah she oh she was so lovely i should have led, led on that on yeah <laughs> no it was it was all over the phone but she was so nice and so i thought i have to include her um and she's probably best known for her restaurant darjeeling express mm. which i've also had the pleasure of eating at which and it was delicious so mm. if you ever get the chance to go do go um i chose her because of her amazing work uh for women in kitchens mm. i think she's done such an incredible job of sort of making women and especially home cooks the focal point so at Darjeeling Express she pretty much or she was used to at the beginning employ all women and they were all home cooks they were all migrants they all you know they they were juggling it with other jobs like that was their kind of like that was their like side project almost Mm. and she was sort of almost struggling to manage them I think and then she sort of got this amazing review and then things started to take off from there but I just think she says some really amazing stuff about kind of honouring women cooks uh, from the home and sort Mm. of giving them the honour that they didn't get sort of you know being a home cook and kind of making that the focus Mm. rather than being sort of like professional kind of like tweezers and like that kind of food like it's all about honouring like home cooked food like that sense of place and heritage Mm. so I just think that's really important. Mm. Um, And I also just love that she comes from, uh, I mean, obviously working in food, like I find it actually can be quite a hard industry to penetrate. Mm. And I love that she, you know, she did not go to a super fancy cooking school. That's not where she got her start. She did a PhD in law. Oh, wow. Um, She started, she actually started doing supper clubs in her home. And then she kind of just went on from there. So I think she did uh, like a residency in a pub, I want to say. And then she sort of managed to find a space with her team of women and I remember speaking to her about the way that she organized that Mm. where 
you know, obviously hospitality is famous for late nights, really unsociable mm. hours, but she said the women that she was working with, you know, they needed to have flexible shift patterns because they had childcare, all of this stuff. And I just think that's actually quite revolutionary. Even it's a bit sad that it's revolutionary oh, because that yeah. is something that in other workplaces is almost a given, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I just think that she does really brilliant things for women in in cooking, especially sort of, you know, non-white women as well, because mm. that's just another layer of like difficulty that mm. you have as like somebody in that space. It's kind of in, impenetrable industry, I guess. Completely, completely. Yeah. And also it's something, uh, something else that she kind of, does as well that I think is really cool so she is a second daughter so mm. she's like a middle child and she's um spoken about before in interviews that she sort of as like the second daughter in her kind of Indian family feels sort of quite you know she sort of felt that palpable disappointment right. and I think she's taken this thing of second daughters and interestingly loads of the people that she em employs at Darjeeling Express are also second, second daughters. daughters and I just love that like she's brought all these women together and they're creating this amazing, you know, sense of sort of like purpose and project mm. from it that celebrates all of the things that are not normally celebrated. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I guess, I mean, we can talk about this in a bit, but the kind of that subversion of like reproductive labor, because women are traditionally, obviously considered the cooks within the home, but in the, your kind of industry, it's often men who are the chefs. And I think it's a really weird parallel that, Mm -hmm. society has kind of created that women cooking professionally or being paid to cook is almost not good enough but women cooking for their family is like it's just a given like that's just what you do um and it's kind of lovely to hear about characters in the industry who are subverting or trying to subvert that kind of norm I guess. exactly i think it's really really interesting because yeah like when you go into a professional kitchen often you will see a lot of men and there's this whole chef bro culture which is just really damaging and I think mm. especially among kind of younger chefs as well obviously you know I'm not a professional chef I'm not someone that's been to cooking school you know I've not done a whole lot of work in like professional restaurant kitchens but I see it and sort of like being in the kitchen with chef bros is just so different to being in the kitchen as a as a young woman mm. with women because it is an incredibly intimidating environment a lot of the time like you'll have people shouting it's under pressure you know even if it's chef bros and it's all like oh it's all chill like that's still really intimidating mm. because you're not part of the boys club mm. you're not part of the boys club you're kind of just a silly young waitress or someone that someone can make jokes about in a mm. kitchen or you know if you're just a, a just a home cook you see i'm even saying it just mm. a home cook you're not appreciated in the same way so i think i love what she's doing and um Sally Abe, she does something similar. I think she's amazing. She does a sort of similar thing where she employs those women at the PEM, which is like her yeah. destination yeah. restaurant. And she, she, I was, she was sort of on my list as well. Um, and she's doing brilliant things in that space too. Amazing. And how about your second guest? So my second guest uh, is actually Julia Child, who is not, <laughs> she is not what I don't think what anyone would call a feminist icon, but I think she is a really important woman in food, and mm. I think people will see her as this kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen Julia and Julia. I have. That's I, probably how most I've people will know her. I've also watched the most recent... Um, oh, the HBO series yeah, with Sarah well, Lancashire. Which is yeah. very good, yeah, yeah. But my favourite is the Stammy Tucci. Yeah, oh my gosh, Stammy yeah. Tucci, I love it. I feel talk for ages about Sammy Tucci. I just honestly, I don't know what it is about that man. I, I just, don't know what it is either. People but there's love him. It's like this weird thing, and this is it's it's like he's just so lovable, and I don't know what it is. He's very gentle. I very gentle. Yeah. And 
the voice yeah. and also he cooks yeah and he's passionate i think it's a passionate thing yeah. i think he, cause he cares about stuff he does, he does. and he's like nerdy about it and i should have chosen stanley too i he's a feminist icon he is. for sure oh my god i do love him anyway, anyway <laughs> he's with he with um it's meryl streep isn't it yeah meryl streep in this film. film and she's yeah. brilliant and i think people and amy, amy oh amy, amy adams yes yeah. yes yeah um, I think people think of Julia Child as this kind of like, you know, oh, she's got that kind of ooh, voice, you know, mm. where she's kind of this, you know, privileged, wealthy white lady, which, you know, she was. Mm. But she also did, I think, really interesting things, you know, like she was not, again, she, I mean, she did train at Cordon Bleu in Paris, but there she wasn't taken seriously by the men in the kitchen. She wasn't. She was there as like, you know, a home cook. And I think I really love kind of like the stories of her, like, positivity mm. kind of you know overcoming this and that's obviously a little bit boring because it's the whole toxic mm. positivity thing but I just think I love that story and then I love the fact that she fought so hard to get published and in tv I think she just took such huge strides in like what was that like the, the 1950s and early 60s yeah, yeah. a time where most women were just cooking in their kitchens and they felt incredibly trapped by that mm. and I think like what Julia Child did kind of contrasts really interestingly with like other women at the time, that mm -hmm. kind of like second wave feminism, like Betty. Oh, um, because there's a scene with her in the HBO series with Betty Friedan. Yes. Where yeah. she basically chastises mm. Julia Child for keeping women over a hot stove yes. and like saying that she was doing the opposite of what all of these kind of like iconic feminists were doing at the time. And I don't know, I don't think that's right because I think a lot of women, like for a lot of women, that wasn't possible. They were at home and they were cooking. And seeing someone like Julia Child, you know, do it on TV and like make it important and that home cooking was important to Julia Child and it was important to all the women that were watching her mm. as well. And I just think that, uh, you know, like that is something that is still so relevant now because so many women and, you know, people will be at home and they won't have options to be elsewhere and actually it's about knowing that that does have a huge impact and that it is really important. I mean, it's a really interesting choice because like you say, at first glance, Julia Child is kind of, she cooked for her husband. Her whole thing was kind of feeding mm -hmm. your partner or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But you're right, what she was doing was kind of paving the way for women professionally cooking and being paid mm -hmm. to cook and being paid to be on TV cooking. Yes. And just because she's not the most kind of radical feminist person doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve kind of yeah a seat to the table <laughs> exactly exactly and I think I don't know like there, I just think there's there was an interesting uh when I was reading about her earlier just to kind of remind mm. myself of sort of everything about her there was an interesting quote I think she'd like been at a restaurant she was complimenting the chef and that I, there was something about the chef saying like oh you know like sort of women need to like stay out of the kitchen so they will keep our jobs kind of thing like it was this sacred like men's place or mm. like this sacred place where like the home cooks or like the female chefs couldn't enter like mm. they you know they couldn't go there because if they did they would be better because the the, the chefs knew they knew that they had this like something special mm. and that home cooking was to be lauded i mean like you know you listen to any podcast or you read any book and the thing that is romanticized is always someone's mum's cooking you know you hear it time and time again like nothing's good as my mum's sunday roast like that kind of thing yeah people don't tend to choose that kind of 50 pound steak that no. they had one time in a no. smart restaurant in london they choose the 
exactly lasagna that their mum made them when they were seven or exactly you know. exactly and I think um something that's quite interesting as well obviously with the film I know in the film sort of there's the whole thing with Julia Child mm. not actually liking Julie's project mm. but I, I really like and also Nora Ephron film I know um yes everyone I, I mean Nora Ephron was also on my list of people to choose I have a feeling Nora Ephron will come up yeah <laughs> um but in that film I really like that Julie uses that kind of like master you know the master in the art of the French cooking like uses this book to kind of find like a sense of self and find mm. joy and I mm. think that that's something as well that is really important to like your self-worth mm -hmm. and sort of you know confidence and all of that sort of thing and I think kind of there's something about feeding yourself or feeding someone you love or like doing that that does afford you that and making it important because mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's not important like yeah domestic labor like things women do in the home aren't seen as important mm -hmm. and they are that's lovely and how about your third guest so my third guest, moving away from food, because I really wanted to include... I mean, you've got to have a mix at the dinner yeah, party as well, because true. we've got two foodies. They'll get on like a house on fire, I'm sure. Do you think... Yes, they would get on. I think Asma Khan and Julia Child, I can see it. I think that they would bond over a lot of things. Yeah. I think, actually, what I think that they might not get on about is I know that I've heard Asma Khan's husband does not like her food, that she cooks in the restaurant. He prefers simple dishes. Interesting. So I think that they'll have a lot to say about that, because I know I feel like Stanley Tucci, who I imagine Julia Child's husband, to be obviously <laughs> I think cast him quite well actually yeah. he looks quite like the, the I think that Julia husband. will just be like what do you know what I actually think Julia might be like dump him I really, <laughs> I really do because Julia will be like what do you mean like what do you mean <laughs> anyway I, we needed to add somebody else into it would be playful though it would be playful yeah I need and yeah. I kind of I sort of one of the other things that I feel you know that I love and that I feel really passionate about is you know works about like literature and mm -hmm. film and TV as well especially like I love like a really gripping TV show mm -hmm. and like something that I love is like really good writing mm -hmm. like I always say like whenever someone wants to watch a film I'm always like is the story good like that's mm -hmm. what I want to know um even if it's like bloody or scary or whatever if the story is good that's what I want to know because mm -hmm. I think stories like right you know working as a journalist I think stories are such important vehicles for like change and mm. activism and all of these sort of things so the third person that I picked is an actor and a writer and a producer, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, Michaela Cole. Oh, um, she's incredible. She's absolutely amazing. And I just kept coming back to her time and time again because I was sort of thinking, you know, I really want someone at this dinner party who's a storyteller. I want yeah. someone who's here who has done like kind of, you know, storytelling almost activism, I mm -hmm. guess, mm -hmm. um, because I think that they're a really important integral mm -hmm. part um, so I've picked Michaela Cole, who is probably uh, best known for Chewing Gum, the E4 mm -hmm. series. Yeah. Quite old now, I, I think, that series. Yeah, it's nice. been around for a while. Yeah. I say old, that's because it made me maybe sound. Maybe eight, yeah. <laughs> ten years, perhaps. So and um, more recently, I May Destroy You. The, best, um, the most wonderful series yeah. that I think I've watched. One of the best things I've watched ever, actually. Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, just completely like groundbreaking television and to be honest selfishly I just want her there so I can talk to her about it because <laughs> I just think it just rendered myself and so many people almost speechless I just yeah. think in its beauty and in the way and it's it, power yeah it was so powerful and just the way it handled you know aftermath of sexual assault and consent I found it so fascinating mm. issues around consent um and even even in chewing gum actually I think like both you know series and just her journey as well. Um, yeah, I just think that she would be... I would just love to be her. <laughs> I think she'd be such an interesting person to 
I do. I mean, like she, she is absolutely amazing. Like I was watching her. She did a lecture at it was McTaggart, I think. Target lecture. Um, that was really, really amazing. That was about um, uh, misfits in her yeah. industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting because I think she's spoken a little bit before about kind of, you know, being liked or feeling misfit or feeling like an outsider. And I think a lot of women can feel that way mm. in industries, especially creative industries sometimes. That even though, you know, anecdotally, creative industries might be filled with, like, women workplaces. Like, personally, mm. I know I've worked in loads of, like, workplaces with like women and feminist women and I think it's I think it's great but I think especially at the higher level when you're trying to get something commissioned or you're trying to like create something sort of big like a show like she's done like I think speaking about being a misfit and kind of how that's impacted her and sort of you know like you don't have to be like get on with everyone or you don't mm-hmm. have to be like mega mega liked to be kind of like successful in that way mm-hmm. so I think yeah she would be an interesting person to speak to so your guests have arrived is there a welcome drink yes so food right we're down we're down <laughs> i feel like i've changed mode now so yes there is a welcome drink um we're gonna have english sparkling wine delicious because i think it's delicious and we've got to uh, support our english sparkling keep it wine local keep it exactly sustainable. yeah keep those air miles low mm-hmm. because we're all about that because a planet that we can all live on for the next 50 years is a, that would be a nice idea um so yeah english sparkling wine to start and then i'm kind of cheating a little bit because i think if you're having a glass of something when you arrive you need a little nibble you need a little something yeah. so i'm having a few canapes oh which what ooh, what are you going for so i'm gonna have uh, one that i make at christmas every year with my mum and it's a tour it's a nigella recipe who is mm. also absolute goddess um, She'd be a good dinner party. Yeah, she would yeah. be so good. But I just, yeah, I do love Nigel. I'd be too scared to cook for Nigel. <laughs> oh, but, well, no, this is a good question, actually. Do you, would you be scared to cook for Julia Child? Weirdly, no. I think no. just because we're so different. I feel like yeah. she's so classic and French, and like, it, there's a lot more distance between yes, me and Julia yeah. Child, whereas Nigella's like... It's also time difference. Like, yeah. Like, um, era difference. Exactly, well. yeah. exactly. Um, so for one of the canapes, we're having a tortilla chip. Just normal Tesco mm. zone tortilla chip, <laughs> um, cr- uh, white crab meat with mm. sour cream, and I think there's a bit of lime and coriander and chili in Delicious. there. And then you just pull up that onto the tortilla chip, and you just have these little, you know, sort of triangles on a plate, and they are just salty, crunchy, yes. a little bit fishy, fresh, fresh, yeah. delicious. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we're also going to have uh, little squares of wheaten bread, which is a Irish bread, mm. which I tried recently for the first time, and it's absolutely delicious. It's like wheaty, malty, like the texture is quite sort of doughy. So if you like a dense bread, you'll like wheaten Ooh. bread. Um, a bit of dense bread. I think it's it's got a lot of give, you know? It's yeah, of, exactly. Yeah. Uh, with smoked mackerel pate on the top, really oh. peppery dill. It's got a bit of a fishy theme, but Ma- you know no, what? but mackerel pate. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. I love mackerel pate. Exactly, it's the best. Exactly. Um, so yeah, a couple, couple of little canapes, like kind of fish Delicious. in the sparkling wine, and then first course. So that was. Yes. Uh, this is kind of all, all part of the first course because mm-hmm. it's not really a starter. It's kind of, I, I, I don't like starters. I, I do like starters. Well, this but... is interesting. So, mm. uh, 
You, why don't you like starters? Well, like, I just, you know when someone says, oh, I'm just so much more of a starter person than a dessert person. I'm like, why do you not want both? It, like, yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It, just, it just confuses me. Anyway, I struggle with starters just because I feel like the idea of having just one starter to myself, like, it just feels like a weird way to start a meal. Like, I really love the, like, sharing little bits at the start because then mm. also, if your guests don't know each other or if you don't know people that well, having a little sharing bread and dip is lovely because then people are like, oh, this is nice, isn't it? Do you like this? You know, they have their no, little... I agree with that. I think starters should be shared. Yeah. Like it's a nice, yeah, it's a really good way of getting, and as this dinner party, you're putting people together who don't really know each other. Exactly. You need a bit of kind of ambiance, being able to share some food, mm-hmm. discuss the food. Exactly. And I think that's such a brilliant way to bond. wine. Yes. A exactly. lovely way to bond. <laughs> so everyone sat down mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You've kind of served your canopies, your first drink. What's the first tune that you're putting on so i'm gonna start with a bit of bedouin i love her Mm. um i'm gonna start with louise it's actually sung in armenian uh which is really beautiful i did listen to it and i love i loved i love it and armenian's a really beautiful language yeah and i got what you were trying to it was kind of a calm yes that's what i want because i feel like also i want to make people feel comfortable when Mm -hmm. they first arrive you know people again if they don't know each other or maybe they haven't been to your flat before or maybe they haven't you know met people before Mm -hmm. that you you're putting together and i think it's nice to have a kind of relaxed tune that's not too kind of hectic or Mm. like stressful and also for you as the cook you want to feel relaxed you want to have a glass of wine in your hand you want to have the nice chilled music on you want to be greeting your guests this is reminding me of when so last night luella and i hosted our very first supper club and um as we were getting kind of ready for the guests to arrive the playlist suddenly switched onto i don't know what it was kind of house yeah, it was really intense <laughs> yeah it was it wasn't the right vibe <laughs> we were not we were not calmed by this no music. we were not calm so this is a very good choice because it's yes it's calm uh it's soft yeah you know. it's kind of Joni mitchell-esque yeah. almost in a way i think it's quite sort of folksy but also mm. i just i really love it and she she's a syrian american artist um it's her first, all of her first album actually would be a really brilliant first album to play at dinner mm. party because all of those songs have that kind of nature where it's all quite lilting like lullaby mm. and just quite kind of plucky guitar. It's, it's, it's I love great. that. And what are the other two tunes that will be on repeat? So then I'm going to move into a little bit of Japanese breakfast. So yes. we're still going kind of it dreamy kind of indie yeah. pop still kind of on the chill side but with a little bit more of a beat because i feel like if you're you know if you're cooking or if you're serving a main or like the energy is upped a little bit once mm-hmm. everyone's got mm-hmm. there you kind of want to kind of amp it up and i don't know about you but whenever i have people at my house i'm always topping up their wine i'm always mm-hmm. giving them another cocktail like i want them to be like having a good time and kind mm-hmm. of like you know keeping up that like positive kind of fun energy so uh, be sweet is just it's so catchy honestly I love it it's a great song um, so yeah and, also, and I love um, Michelle Zahner as well mm. so well, actually, I'm a big fan of her because yeah. we read Crying in H Mart um, last year with the club and it's just that's a brilliant brilliant book as well and how about your third tune so then the evening is going to take a turn you know, because I feel like a dinner party can go one of two ways. <laughs> Either you're having pudding and it's winding down and everyone's being very chill. Maybe you've put on something a bit jazzy. Mm-hmm. Or, which is the way that most of my dinner parties <laughs> tend to go, you start ramping up the music yeah. a little bit. Yeah. You know, everyone, you've kind of got your dessert in one hand and you're kind of like chatting very loudly or mm-hmm. people are like starting to like dance a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. you get the urge to maybe go out. You're yeah, kind of, you know, yeah. feeling that. So we've got 
bad girls by Donna <laughs> Summer. I love it. Um, because I just love like some of my favourite evenings with people that I love to cook for. You know, it's it's just gone in the direction of disco. Like me and my friend Sophie uh, have a playlist called Thank Goddess for Disco oh, that we have. I and need we to follow love. this playlist. Um, this is a great dinner party. Yeah, I actually I really rate disco. I feel like it's a little bit frantic for the beginning because yeah, obviously you've got yeah. that like like that kind of sound like all the way through. Um, but for pudding, yeah, it's great. Especially if you kind of do want to keep it, you know, keep it going and it turn it into a bit of a party. I think it's a really good choice. Post food lull. Yes, you need to stop the coma and exactly. And I also absolutely love the idea of Julia Child listening to Bad Girls by Donna <laughs> Summer. I just love it. I can imagine her and Michaela Cole. Maybe they're having a little, a little boogie. A little boogie. I can't imagine how Julia Child um, dances. I, I was also just thinking about that. I feel like she might be quite robotic. I yeah. feel like she's very tall, wasn't she? Yeah, like super tall. Yeah. No, she. Yeah, she was. She was like over six foot. I think. Yeah. Well, in the movie, Stanley mm-hmm. Tucci is much taller. Meryl <laughs> Streep. Um, I love your tunes. So, your first course. Yes. So we're going dips breads so we're going to go for baba ganoush but really smooth Ooh. i have this amazing one at bubba bubbala bubbala yeah i'm going there for my birthday next week oh my gosh you have I'm to get so the baba excited <laughs> i'm going to get because i that's one of my favorite dips in the yeah. world so it's really really smooth and it's got these um like curry leaves with it and it's Ooh. sort of got all the olive oil and it's so delicious so i'd be making something akin to that yes um and then like a really smooth hummus but kind of topped yes Really, not quite as smooth as sabra hummus. I know people have got very strong opinions about that hummus. It's a little bit too thin, I think, yeah. sabra hummus. I love a vel- velvety smooth. Yes. I, it needs to be. I don't like grainy hummus. Okay. But <laughs> just really... I see, opinion, I said everyone's got strong opinions. But yeah, sabra, I, I do like it, but it's just a little bit too yeah. kind of wet. Yeah, I agree. So yeah. kind of really nice silky hummus, but with kind of maybe topped with some like spiced like chickpeas and nuts and things. Delicious. I love a little bit of topping. And then a, a labneh, so like a really oh. like creamy delicious thick garlicky yeah. again maybe some like fresh soft herbs or something yeah. crunchy on the top um and then loads of kind of soft pita breads mm. to mop it up with and you know kind of fluffy yes like yeah. the ones you know when you take them out the oven and then they're kind of like huge and then you stab them and then nice. the steam comes out so. yeah bit of theater there i feel yeah. like that's always quite fun bring those out <laughs> and they're just stab them yeah <laughs> delicious um and how about for your main course so main course, I actually, uh, like, it took me ages to design on the main course. I think um, it's the hardest thing. It's really hard. And I was trying to think, like, you know, what I would make for people to have a bit of a sense of occasion. And someone that I often go to in the in these times is Otolenghi. Mm. Yes. Um, for me, you know, God love him, not a midweek recipe kind of guy, I don't no. think. Um, as much as he tries to be with the... A simple cook yeah stuff like they are. yeah no, they're so still special occasion yeah. yeah special occasion cook so i love i've made it for i don't know how many people now the zatar mac and cheese because i was also thinking you know carrying through maybe those slightly kind of like levantine flavors mm. um it's delicious you use an entire block of feta you just chuck it all in it's all one pot less washing up which is important when you're very a party uh, crispy onions and then this incredible zatar pesto with like a whole lemon Ooh. in it it's amazing like you chop up the center of the lemon which you think would just be completely too much but i think with the richness of the mac and cheese it cuts through it. and all the spices God, this recipe sounds insane it's absolutely it. yeah. so it's honestly it's amazing and, and then, a yeah, great dinner party it is it's brilliant because then you yeah. all serve it in this huge dish and you've got all this sort of like twisty pasta and this yellow sauce because it's got turmeric in it and then this bright green pesto on top, and then the crispy onions to give it some height. It's 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 a good it's a good centerpiece. So the pesto is kind of normal 
pesto plus. It's got sitar and then coriander, yeah. I think. Um, and then it's got the whole lemon in it as well. That's in- insane, the whole lemon. I know. It's great though. And the inside. Like, Honestly, so, like, the I converted to like whole lemon cooking because I roasted um, some slices of lemon for this potato salad that I did recently. And you just eat the whole thing. Skin, I don't think everything. Le- there's ever too much lemon. Honestly, it's delicious. Because it's not... Fake lemon is sour, yeah. But real lemon is actually not that sour. No, it's quite it's sweet. It's quite sweet, yeah. yeah. But no, delicious. So that that would be oh. my main course. And everyone always loves I'm it. I'm so <laughs> hungry. I need this mac and cheese. Oh wow, yeah. And is there other types of cheese, or is it just feta? Um, I oh god, I can't remember now. It's been a while since I've made it. I think there might be. I think there might just be good old cheddar cheese in there. You know. I think you'd need two. Yeah, or maybe I think. It cheddar because mm. I think you need a little bit of that like meltiness because obviously the yeah. feta do, it does melt down into the sauce but it's not got that same kind of like melty stringy Smooth, texture yeah. yeah yeah so I think I think there's some normal cheddar in there delicious <laughs> anything with the mac and cheese or is that just it, honestly the, it, that is enough like I think if yeah. you know if I wanted to what I tend to do is serve like a little like zesty salad on the yeah. side like my favorite thing is like my lazy salad it's so easy mm. um you just get your bagged salad leaves or you know whatever you fancy maybe you like a little crunchy lettuce but basically bagged salad leaves mm-hmm. you put it in the bowl and then you squeeze half a lemon directly into the bowl just on the salad yeah drizzle over however much olive oil your heart let your heart decide let your heart decide <laughs> the amount of olive oil. A <laughs> little bit of salt and pepper. Just mix it up with a couple of forks. It's so easy. And that just gives like a really nice zesty little side Delicious. salad. And it just goes with everything. Or if you're doing something maybe like more kind of like East Asian spices, lime so the lemon works really well. Yes. Yeah. Delish. Um, oh, and I'm particularly about mac and cheese. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing recipe. And I think you've really hit all of the different kind of needs of each guest i mean i don't know much about michaela cole's taste oh my god food. i just remembered i think she might be vegan oh it's fine it's fine i can do it i will okay. you know in a yeah. perfect <laughs> maybe in a perfect yeah. world you know either she's not vegan or somehow you found yeah. incredible ingredients i think that it would be are okay. exactly yeah taste exactly like the real thing i you agree know? i agree <laughs> it's not that's semantics <laughs> that's all that's all right um delicious how about your pudding so i am a big believer in choice of pudding i don't know mm-hmm. i think maybe because when growing up my mum didn't she doesn't eat chocolate past um lunchtime so <laughs> <laughs> i think because of the caffeine i think it's the caffeine like oh god bless her um so basically we'd always have like two puddings kind of growing up if it was like a bit you know like a sunday lunch or something yes. and like one of the puddings had chocolate like we always had to make sure there was a non-chocolatey pudding right. for mum yeah so we'd always you know quite often we'd have two puddings and i was like this is great because then the people because people are pretty much divided into yes chocolate needs to be in the pudding or you know something creamy that kind of thing or fruity you know so i feel mm. like it's good to have both so i've chosen a big sloppy tiramisu ah, i love with, the description yeah a sloppy, a sloppy, sloppy, tiramisu. sloppy tiramisu. You know when you've made it with like the real eggs, the mm-hmm, egg yolks, that mm-hmm. you've done it properly. It's in a huge dish. You get it out with the fish slice, and it's all going all over the sides of the mm. fish slice, and it looks rubbish on the plate. But you know what? It tastes, tastes damn good. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then, much better than those like the yeah the ones that stick in the same place. Yeah, that you, yeah. And then yeah. like sort of the sponge is a bit anemic because it hasn't mm. soaked up all the coffee. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, and then I'm also going to have a lovely, chewy, beautiful pavlova on the table as well. Mm. So 
mascarpone, raspberries, strawberries. I made a really delicious one once with um, passion fruit and lime and mango. So that's nice for Ooh. summer as well. I do love when pavlovas have not like a different kind of pavlova, yeah. not the berries, but like you say, tropical yeah. fruits or. But I just think that that's the perfect dinner party because it looks beautiful. Everyone loves a bit of meringue and cream, and I just I love it when it's a bit chewy and marshmallowy mm-hmm. on the inside. That's the best bit. Yeah. A little bit of crunch, but I think you need most of it to be that kind of caramelly, chewy stuff. So good. Oh, yum. Um, So, people have had pudding. Mm -hmm. What's happening next? I think what's happening next, what normally happens, or what I envision happening, is maybe we have a little after-dinner cocktail. Lovely. Um, maybe something to perk everyone up. Yeah. So, um, obviously everyone loves an espresso martini. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, and but I there, is, there is a twist. There is, there is a twist. <laughs> so, at home, uh, me and my boyfriend have started making... I mean, I, I act as if this is, like, groundbreaking. It's really not. Basically, we just decided to put Irish whiskey into an espresso martini Ooh. instead of vodka. And I love it. I think it doesn't have the same kind of cut as vodka quite often has. Yeah. It kind of gives it a little bit of like fruitiness, which I think, you know, if you're a coffee aficionado, like maybe you could even choose the roast to like go with the fruitiness mm. of the whiskey. But I think Irish whiskey has this kind of like fruity quality that does taste really, really good with coffee. So we've started making a lot of those on a Friday. But half us four, get one of those out. So I think ending the dinner party with one of those. Yeah. Would would go down really well or more than one or more than one exactly you can do the you know shake them up just keep shaking all night lovely um and how long do you think this is gonna last well this is it i mean i feel like a dinner party you know maybe a few hours for the food maybe sort Mm -hmm. of three hours and then i think i think if everyone's having a good time in chatting i think the music is going up Mm -hmm. the disco's on people are having an espresso martini I think, you know, maybe people are like sneaking out in the garden to have a cheat, you know, every, mm. there's always that person that's like, oh, I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to pass out <laughs> When they have smoke, a half you know, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's always, always someone that never normally does it as well. I think it, well, Julia Child did smoke, yeah. I think. Oh, I think so. it'll be Julia Child. She'll yeah, be out, she'll be out there. Oh, we know. So I think people will be sneaking out there to do that and coming back in. And then I think, you know, maybe, maybe I think, honestly, I think maybe there'll be a suggestion. Oh, should we, should we, should we go to the pub, you know? Should we go to a bar? Yeah, yeah. And I think we'll go, you know, we'll go down the road. We'll find somewhere that's open. Yeah. Maybe, oh my gosh, the dream would be if we found somewhere that was open. And then we'd all go and do karaoke. I think that that... <laughs> I, karaoke is the best end to any night. It is. I honestly... Every time. I'm never disappointed yeah. by karaoke. I honestly never used to be a fan, but I've been a few times. Um, my favourite is Oslo in Hackney, if anyone wants to go. It's That's not. It's very not, good. It's not um, uh, like a booth. You go and you do it in front of strangers, but yeah. it's excellent. It's, it's very liberating. Yeah. yeah. There's a great one in Finchley, I think. Oh, God. I can't remember but it was the grimiest oh. like the microphone was like half broken oh, and no. but it was just like <laughs> so bad and also yeah. so good and you could totally just do that in your living room and then yeah. like it would oh, exactly, be better exactly and do you know what but I it feel was like... the f- experience of yeah. like doing to it to be fair maybe even doing I feel like I've definitely been I mean I've had dinner parties that have ended in us reenacting scenes from Mamma Mia which was oh my god it was so embarrassing it was me and two of my <laughs> friends and we you know, do you know the scene in Mamma Mia where they're um, comforting Meryl Streep yes. um, and they're singing Chikatita. We were yes. doing that. Um, <laughs> and I was sat on the chair and they were on the floor. And then my flatmate came home with two friends and opened the door to the kitchen and was kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I can imagine maybe that happening. Yeah. <laughs> who would be who? That would be um, I think, um, I think 
Julia Child would have to be Donna and Meryl Streep. Mm. I think she would have to be. That seems the only right in my eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what I would be doing at this point. I think I'd just be sitting there watching in awe. <laughs> With an espresso martini with your eyes open. And yeah. Like jaw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> jaw <game>. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, that's, I mean, that sounds like a wonderful dinner party with amazing food and amazing drinks. I'd love to talk to you a bit more in the last kind of five, ten minutes about your experience of being a woman in your industry. Um, first off, like, what do you feel is the hardest thing about being a young woman in food journalism? I think often, I mean, something that I've struggled with personally is being taken seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that you necessarily want someone to, you know, be really serious all the time, but I think, you know, there's a big divide actually between sort of people who have been around a lot longer in our industry who see themselves as quite sort of serious, like food critics or, Mm -hmm. you know, quite serious like long form feature writers and then I think it's quite difficult for younger women sort of you know just breaking in or perhaps women you know like myself who you know have not had the privilege of being you know privately educated or coming from a particularly well connected background Mm -hmm. is really difficult Mm -hmm. you know I think a lot of working in media in particular and sort of food media is is your connections and mm-hmm. I think it's really difficult you know I do you know I do don't have any journalists in my family I didn't grow up knowing any journalists you know if you were a journalist in my hometown you just work for the Western Gazette mm-hmm. it wasn't you know I didn't know really that like food feature writing existed mm-hmm. until sort of going to university and you know reading and researching and experiencing more and all of that kind of thing um, and I think it is really difficult to be taken seriously and to feel like you've won, you know, you feel like you've won your place in this job, you know, and where I work is brilliant and the, it's a really diverse workforce. But I think just generally being in the industry, you quite often feel like an imposter mm-hmm. because there's, you know, like I said, lots of these people who are sort of legacy writers or, you know, they've been around for a long time and then you turn up and you're kind of like, hello, I'd like to write about food, please. Mm-hmm. And even though, like, you know, I've done my G's, I've done my work, I've like done a master's and all, you know, you know, worked really hard. Yeah. I think there is still something about like not being deserving to be there. And I think, you know, especially when you see, I don't know, like I saw something recently on Twitter, which is just not a place you should ever go really <laughs> <laughs> to find any sensible opinions. Um, where I think it was Jay Rayner was kind of saying, you know, oh, you can, you know, someone was criticizing critics, I mm. think. And he was saying, oh, you know, once you've been, you know, been doing it for as long as we have, or once you've done it for as long as we have, then you can criticise this kind of thing. It's ironic that somebody makes their living from criticising. I know, I know. I just, I mean, I... Livelihoods. Yeah, it was was a slightly more nuanced debate than I'm making out to be, but it was, it just sort of spoke to me, that idea of, yeah, not, your your opinion isn't valid, or, like, Mm. not being taken seriously as a younger person. I mean... Do you have any kind of tips, I guess, for maybe someone in your position five years ago? Definitely. I think that's something that has been so useful to me is just like grabbing like any opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, even if it seems just like slightly relevant or Mm -hmm. like 
you know, kind of not, you know, even like, so I started my a food blog when I was a student mm-hmm. and I was just doing it for fun. And I'm so glad I did it because honestly, the amount of times I've used it on a job application, <laughs> you know, things like that, like, you know, doing your own thing. Else. I've always found that. Yeah, outside of work. Like, I know that yeah. that's, cause, you know, I've done the whole like doing, you know, waitressing jobs like outside of your your full time job mm-hmm. to be able to afford to do it. You know, live in London to be able to live your life, mm-hmm. and that's really hard work. So you know, I can't just sit here and say, "Oh, you must be doing your own like personal brand on the side of everything," because that's not fair. Because mm-hmm. not everyone will have the time to do it. But even if it's something as simple as just writing a little blog post every now and again, mm-hmm. like there's just something about that that also makes you feel that you've taken control of mm-hmm. your future and what you're doing. You know, like even doing things like hosting the supper clubs with spare ribs mm. or doing things you know like like that like even just doing things with your friends like doing little projects and little side things as a you know as a student or mm. as somebody newly graduated because like trust me I the graduate wasteland is real and it, <laughs> it feels terrible and you know I took a waitressing job that was it was weird it was salaried it was a salaried waitressing job mm. Um, and I did it for like a month and it was just, oh God, it was the worst thing ever. Um, but that's another story for another day. And, you know, feeling really lost like that, but having something kind of, you know, on the side that felt like me, that felt like something that I could be proud of is really mm. important. And it's, and it has helped me get jobs as well. And it has opened doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say specifically working in kind of media, doing the masters was really useful. Mm-hmm. It was really useful. I think if it's something that you're interested in and you want to do, I made contacts, you can get loans that cover the cost of the tuition. Um, not all the best courses are in London. Mm-hmm. London is an expensive place to live. Mm-hmm. I moved outside of London to be able to do my course. I went to Cardiff, a lot lower cost of living, a lot more achievable. You know, if you, if you don't live near London or you haven't got a lot of funds to be doing it here, um so I would say that was a really good step for me Mm. um and then yeah you never know who you might meet as well like making even working like waitressing jobs or doing things when I was a student like I worked in a cafe that I just got because I needed a job and then I ended up loving it and Mm -hmm. making friends with people and discovering that I love cooking and I think just taking all of those experiences and kind of just with both hands Mm. and giving it a go kind of does pay off sometimes (laughs) (laughs) That's really good advice. Because I, I know that there will be people listening or in the club who um, are early on in a journalism career or are really interested in getting into food writing, that kind of thing. Because it's really popular. It is, it is. It's really industry. popular. Yeah, and it's really hard, I think. I don't know. I mean, there's loads of like freelance publications you can write for. And mm-hmm. the, the debate on like writing for free is huge. And I really don't think you should be writing for free, especially for... Um, like big names, I think that that's completely wrong. I think kind of small zines and things like that are different because they're probably being run by people who also aren't being paid. It's essentially a project, like you're not contributing to anyone else's salary or any kind of investors or something. Whereas if a huge publication is asking you to do work for free, don't do it. (laughs) Because then also it devalues the skill of writing for everyone else. If they know that they can commission people for very little or for free, they're going to continue to do it. So as tempting as it might be, I just think there's a lot of pushback Mm -hmm. from that among kind of, you know, food and lifestyle writers. Mm. Um, But yeah, like writing, there's brilliant zines, potluck zines. So I think, actually, I think they might pay now. But I remember I wrote for them a while ago 
and they had a really nice system where it was just sort of based on sales so you would mm. get paid on the sales and I think that's brilliant and the zine is great and you know they donate quite a lot of money to the Trussell Trust as well and that's a really great place to start um good, yeah good way to get your name it is there. and it's also really good pra- like practice like mm. writing practice is just so great like getting used to a deadline getting used to following a brief like all of yeah. that kind of thing is really useful um and there's just loads of brilliant zines and there you never know who you're going to meet you know go to go to the club go to the meeting mm. like try it see how it works even though it is scary to do that sometimes especially if you do feel a bit Im- impostery yeah but you kind of just have to ignore the voice in your head yeah. and just kind yeah. of you know fake it till you make it i guess i mean it yeah i agree with that every industry mm-hmm. I think oh my god yeah I, yeah that is universal yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i loved your dinner party i've Thank had you. a wonderful time a lovely evening. I've woken up with a horrendous hangover, and I think it might have been the espresso martinis. Um, but I loved the guests, I loved the food. So thank you very much for taking us through that. My last question for you that I ask every guest um, is what are you doing in a small way on an everyday basis to be a better feminist? I Either for yourself or for other people. I think, and this is definitely not something specific and it's you know it's not like I'm going you know out and volunteering for x charity and I you know that's you know not what this is but I think it is challenging your critical voice in your head so even if you're criticizing yourself mm-hmm. uh, or other women or you know you have that little voice within it oh I wonder how she got that or oh, she mm-hmm. you know why is she doing that or that kind of thing you know that like crit like kind of challenging that voice in my head is something that I think is important um because then you get to celebrate other people instead of kind of you know pitting against each other because that's Mm -hmm. what a lot of society wants us to do is pit people against each other so that they feel that they're in competition Mm -hmm. and taking each other down and I think every time that that comes up in your head or every time where you're thinking like a negative thought about somebody or you're kind of thinking almost like jealousy or something like, you know, something like that. I think challenging that and also like sort of not engaging in conversations with other women about that as well. Mm. I think like making those small changes, like even just within your friendship group or within your workplace is something that I'm definitely actively trying to do to really, you know, support everyone. And even strangers or just like people you see, you know, people you see online, people you see on the street, I think that 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 needs to become the norm and Mm. not the opposite, which I think is quite often true <laughs> which seems it seems like a tiny thing but I think like changing those mindsets is like something that everyone can do and mm. I think it's something that you can literally just do from your sofa at home it's something that I do so I think it's something that we can all do that's amazing that's really proactive advice to end on <laughs> thank you so much Luella for joining us thank you for having me <laughs> my pleasure um yeah thank you and see you soon. Yeah. See you at the next supper club. Yeah, see you, see you at the next supper club. <laughs>